19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? De- declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right. Thank you, darlings. Let's pray together. Lord, we just have heard Psalm 19, and I do pray, O God, that as we dig into this passage a little bit deeper, that we would hear what you have for us and that we would change the way that we view the reading of Scripture and time of prayer and other spiritual disciplines. God, I pray that you would use your word and even words that I speak in declaring your word to change us, to forever change us. And as I often pray, oh God, I have lots of words that I speak and some of them may come from my flesh and I just pray that they would fall to the ground quickly and be forgotten and that we would only remember that which you have for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, now I'm not gonna go do a complete recap of everything. We've got sermons, you can go to, do what? Oh, I'm so sorry, I've just been reminded. We have Camp Redstone kids that want to go to class. So we've got the ladies back in the back. Sorry, Rachel, that was my bad. Um, Camp Redstone kids, you guys are dismissed to go to your classes, and we hope you have a great time. And yeah, I like it when the kids are in here with us. So, okay, very good. So, I'm not going to go back and recap everything that we've talked about. The sermons are online, they're on YouTube, they're on SoundCloud, they're on Facebook Live. You can go back and listen. But a quick overview, we're talking about the table. There's a table on our logo, and we talked about how it's a discipleship table. This is a Jesus fellowship table, and really the table itself represents Christianity. I've said all of these things. I don't want to spend too much time, but the, the gospel is always on top. The thing that we're giving to people is the gospel, the the fact that God gave his son Jesus so that we would have hope. And the way that the gospel is worked out in our life is that we become a worshipful people, okay? And that we become a people that live in community with one another. And that we become a people who serve the kingdom and that ultimately we become a people that are about multiplication and making disciples. So we want to key in on the gospel part of it Okay, and it's Jesus fellowship that we're looking for. Okay, so last week I gave you, come on, 
There we go. We, I gave you this definition. So look at this definition. It says, gospel-centered worship is true Christian worship is when the people of God, that's us, through gospel transformation, respond in adoration of submission to and proclamation of who God is and what he does and has done. Okay, the table itself is in your worship guide. So last week, and I mentioned this a moment ago, we looked at revelation and response. When God reveals himself to us, if we're paying attention, we cannot help but respond. Okay, so that was part one. Now, part two, my voice keeps on going up. Part two is relationship, and that's the adoration part of the definition that I gave you a moment ago. So the relationship with him is, is critical, and it's important. And there's some topics that are just, they're too big for a Sunday morning, and they're too big for a series of Sunday mornings, but they're too important not to at least try. And worship of God is one of those. It could take the rest of our lives just talking about the revelation of God and our response to Him in worship. So I, I hate that we can't just spend the rest of our lives in this, but I'm going to give you a, just an overview of the fact today that when we're talking about revelation and response, the point is it drives us into a deeper relationship with God. And if we're reading our scriptures and going into prayer and doing all of these things for any other reason than relationship, then we're going to get sucked into this heading that we would call religion. And it's checklists of things that we're supposed to do. And that's not what God desires. Okay, he desires a relationship with us. So if you've got your table, and I know you probably can't read this one, but you can see the one in your worship guide. Week number one was revelation and response. And if you're one of the people that really love filling out your worship guide, um, blank number two is relationship. So you can go ahead and, and fill that out. Okay, so let's talk about the disciplines for a moment. And, and I've given you um, an overview of the disciplines when I said it's Bible reading. It's time in prayer. It's silence and solitude. It's meditation on God's word. It's fasting. Now, we're not going to cover each of these topics in detail. That's not the point of this sermon. But what we're trying to do is develop a discipleship tool that as we walk with people, as we continue to disciple them, that we can use the table to dig into each of those individually. And then maybe at some point in time, we'll be able to teach on prayer. We'll be able to teach on, on silence and solitude and why we meditate on God's word and fasting. Oh, I'd love to you know, just have a sermon series just on fasting. But we're not doing that right now. This is an overview, okay? So here's my question to you, and you can just shout back out at me. Why is it do you think that sometimes we struggle with the spiritual disciplines? Anybody got any thoughts? Bible reading, prayer time. Is it, that come easy for you all? Time? Okay. Kara says time. Becca? We have a real enemy that does not want us to be in the Word of God or praying. Okay? Is that what you were going to say? Okay, it's not a priority to us, right? We spend time, and it's true, and I've often said this, 
you will find time to do what is important to you. And you'll even find money. If you're like, oh my gosh, my week is just crazy. I have no margin at all. It's back to back to back. I have little room to sleep. And someone says, hey, I got tickets to the game on Saturday night in Knoxville. Do you want to go? You're like, yeah. And you just change everything around and you cancel meetings and you come up with money and you make it work. That's what we do. So sometimes it's just a priority. What else? Distraction. Okay, and then that goes back to what Andrew said. Sometimes those distractions come because the enemy does not want you in the Word of God and he doesn't want you praying. We've all experienced this. I know that I'm not the only one that opens up the Bible and then I'm like, I wonder what's in the news. Or I wonder who won the ball game last night. You know, or I wonder, we got anything in the refrigerator? Because I'm kind of hungry right now. And then all of a sudden, like our hearts and our minds are drawn somewhere else. It's a constant struggle that's there. And I, I even ask this question, I'm way off script right now. But I even ask this question when I meet with guys. I'm like, hey, so do you pray with your wives? And most of the time I get, well, I mean, we just, we don't really do that a lot. And I ask, well, why do you think that that is? Why don't you think that you pray with your wife? I don't know. It's a little awkward. I don't know how to do it. Just the fact that you don't or you're not sure why you don't is probably a great indicator that the enemy does not want you praying with your families. The spiritual disciplines, if we understand the relationship component that we're going to dig into right now, they'll change your life. There is no doubt that the enemy knows that they will change your life and he will do anything he can to keep you from practicing these spiritual disciplines. So if you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, this is an area I really struggle in, I hope that at the end of today that you see that there's hope for you. So when we were, when I was at Providence Academy, um, there was, the, let me back up. At Providence Academy, we were a classic, classical school. So we went through three levels. We called like the grammar level was elementary, the logic level was middle school, that's when you're teaching kids how to think, and then the rhetoric level, and that's the word I'm going to focus on, the rhetoric level is the high school area. Okay, so high school, you would have these two classes called rhetoric one and rhetoric two. So rhetoric means persuasive communication. It's words. So we would teach kids to get up front and to give speeches like left and right and to speak on a topic for five minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes. We would have them write articles. Okay, so like, what's your, what's your main position? What's your thesis position? Okay, now can you support your position? And then can you have a summary that goes back and that supports your thesis position? It's this whole dynamics of writing. And you're like, oh, that sounds way too academic for a Sunday morning. It is. I'm sorry, but I'm going somewhere. Right? And the kids would do this over and over and over. So when they get to college and the, you know, the professor's like, can you get up and give a speech? Yes. We've given a thousand speeches at Providence Academy. Even though I hate it, I'm, I can do it because I've, I've been taught had the mechanics of it. Also, writing papers, we teach them how to write. So what we're really doing is teaching them, you have words, can you use your words to give them to an audience that would persuade them? So rhetoric is persuasive communication. I give that as an introduction because I want you to go back and I want you to look at Psalm 19 with me. If there could be a rhetoric one class from God to us, you're going to see it right here. Look at this. The heavens, look at my red words up here. You can you know, mark these on your, on your worship guide. The heavens declare the glory or the weight of how big God is. 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. Look at this. This is God speaking to us. Declare, proclaim, speech, words, voice, etc. God is using rhetoric for the purpose of communicating to us. Do you see that? He's going out of his way to communicate to people. And in this section of this passage, he's trying to communicate to us through his creation. Takes us to truth number one. Say, God has spoken, and this is in your worship guide, and continues to speak through his creation, which is general revelation. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And he wants to reveal himself to us. Well, why? Well, this speaks of his desire for a relationship with us. He is God. He is almighty. He is creator. And he is speaking in a way that everybody on planet Earth, whether they speak your language or not, whether they're on the other side of the ocean or they're here, they can look at what God has done, whether that be the moon or the stars or the sun or the mountains or the blueness of the sky or the clouds, all of these things, and they can see there is a God. There is a God. I don't believe in atheists in the same way that atheists say that they don't believe in God. I honestly do not think an atheist exists. They may say it, and they may declare it. They may say, I don't understand this being. But everyone who has breath in them, and they can see all of God's creation, when they go to bed at nighttime, and they're laying there, and there's no one else around that they're trying to persuade, you can't tell me that they don't know that there's a God. He's declared it. He's spoken it loudly. He does exist. Now, may you, not, you may not understand him fully, but he has spoken in such a way that people know that he exists. And this is general revelation. General revelation is what anyone or everyone can see and believe. And it's oftentimes connected with God's creation. That he shows that there is an almighty creator and that there is an overseer. Now, I won't read this whole passage, but you might want to make a note to it, uh, to go back and look at it. This is from Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, and I'm just going to read 19 and 20. And in this passage, Paul is looking at the you know, people, and he's saying, listen, people are without excuse because two things have happened. One, God has spoken in a way that everyone that has breath in them knows that I exist, whether they say that they don't or not. And number two, and we're not going to read this part of it, I've actually put some of my law in their heart. They actually already know right from wrong. That did not happen automatically. You do not have to teach your kids at the age of, how old's cable? I don't know, three. You don't have to tell a three-year-old that you should not steal from your sister. They already know that. And when they do these things, they're already looking over their shoulder because they know it's wrong. God has put this in their hearts. So there's this, this revelation of right from wrong, and then there's this revelation of creation. Now, let me read this passage. This is 1 Corinthians, I mean, I'm sorry, Romans 1, 19 and 20. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, 
because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. I'm stressing certain words here. Clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This is intelligent design. God has made it clear in the way that the sun comes up at the right distance and it's every day and then it goes down and the stars, he's done things in such a way that people that have a brain can look at that and say, I may not get it, I may not understand it, I may not want to be accountable to this God or whatever, but yeah, something or someone has done this that's greater than me. Okay, I'll continue. And then he says this, it says, so they are without excuse. God's revealed himself, and everyone is without excuse. The passage goes on to say um, that people choose to worship his creation instead of worshiping him. C.S. Lewis says, even the pagans worship creation. Even the pagans will worship the things that he has created, yet Christians redirect their worship to the creator, not to the creation. So God has spoken clearly all humanity is without excuse. We can't say, well, I just didn't know. I mean, I didn't realize that there was a God. No one can say that. He's spoken in such a way that he has made himself known. The philosopher Immanuel Kant says this. He says, two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing wonder. Here, I'll put this one up there for you. And all, and number one is the starry heavens above me. And the second one is the moral law within me. Two things that I see, they just bring wonder to me. One, when I look at the stars and heavens, and when I look at the fact that I already know right from wrong, I'm at wonder there has to be a God because this did not happen on its own. Last week, I gave the Latin phrase to you. I probably pronounced it wrong. Ex nihilo. You remember? And it means out of nothing. God spoke all of these things out of nothing. In light of that, I'm going to read another passage. This one actually came out of our sermon prep time, which is on Mondays at 345. And Tom Ermiger said, you know, this reminds me of a passage in Jeremiah. So let me read this. Jeremiah 10, 10 through 14. It says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the, ever, the living God and the everlasting king. And, his, and at his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the little g gods, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He's just describing creation. So God has done all of these things. And then it says, every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith that's trying to make these idols, every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his images are false. There is no breath in them. From the beginning of time, man has tried to create its own idols. And we, you know, I think Colby said last night, she said, Dad, we all have idols. You know, we had this conversation about the idols that are in our, in our hearts, and they don't have breath in them. You know, yet you look at how God has spoken and what he has declared, he has made himself known. So the litmus test for worship, 
now that we're in this series of worship, you worship that which can create something out of nothing. That's just the beginning. If, you, if the thing that you're trying to worship cannot create something out of nothing, then it's not worthy of worship. And the truth is, only God can do that. And he has done it in such a way that we can clearly see it. Okay, now, here's the point that we're getting to this morning. Because this is the revelation, which we talked about last week. And then we talked about how we need to have a response. The thing I'm going for this morning, and this passage is going to take us back to, when we see that there is a God, we should want to know him. How has he revealed himself? And the second part of this passage says, go to his word. Because if you really want to understand who God is, go to the mountains, you know, go to the beach, see him, but don't just stay there. Okay, there's specific things about himself that he has declared and that he has revealed. And the only way that you're going to know them is to go to the word of God. So let's continue with the passage. Look at verse 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony, this is talking about the word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise as simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there's great reward." So this revelation of God takes the psalmist to the Word of God in such a way that it doesn't feel very religious. It feels very relational, and it feels very worshipful. He says the Word of God is perfect. It revives the soul. It's sure. It brings wisdom. It's right. It brings joy to our hearts. It's pure. It enlightens us. It is rich. It's to be desired. It is true and is righteous. And if I understand this word, I'm going to be warned on certain things. But if I also understand it, there's going to be great rewards if I can keep it. This is what the Word of God does for us. There's a beautiful passage. If you don't know it, you need to commit it to memory. And I'm just going to get the first few words of it. But it's 2 Timothy 3.16. And it starts out by saying this. All Scripture is God-breathed. He has breathed out His Word to reveal who He is in the Word of God. So if you're not reading the Word of God, yet you're trying to live a life of worship, there's a kink, and you have to work that out because you will not know who he is until you get to the point where you can see how he has revealed himself in Scripture. So truth number two in your worship guide, God has spoken and continues to speak through his word. This is special revelation. He wants to reveal more of himself to us and once again, it's speaking of his desire for a relationship with us. So special revelation, I just said it, it's him revealing more of who he is and more of how he thinks, more of what's important to him and areas that we need to be warned of. 
You know, the Word of God gives a great example in Romans, you know, where, where Paul says, I didn't know what coveting was until the law said, thou shalt not covet. I didn't understand these things fully until I went to the Word of God to see them. So the Word gives us special revelation. There's general revelation, the whole world can see it. And there's special revelation that we can see through the Word of God. John chapter 1 begins this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. We're talking about communicating. We're talking about words to persuasively reveal who God is to us. Okay, he begins John chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ with this word. And it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus as God is the full expression of who God is to sinful humanity. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. God has spoken to us through the, through the Logos, through the word of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 1 says it this way. It says, but in these last days he has spoken communication words. He has spoken to us by his Son. He's spoken by His Son. So the point is that gospel-centered worship is not just to let us know that God reveals Himself to us, but it's to remind us that He desires um, for a deep, intimate relationship with us. That's the whole reason that Jesus revealed Himself. So the conclusion to these matters, not necessarily of the sermon, because I've got a few more things to cover, as more and more of him is revealed to us, our response, revelation and response, our response is to worship him and to seek to grow in our relationship with him. And that, my friends, is the whole point of the disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and meditation and fasting and journaling and silence and solitude. All of these things are not just things that we're supposed to do because now we're Christians and we're religious and I know we should do this and this and this and this. I mean, look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, they took that to the highest level. Look at, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, look at all of these rules and regulations that were presented because if we can do these things, then God's going to be happy with us. These things don't change our standing before God. Christ has declared us not guilty, but what they do is they open up the door for a deeper relationship with him. And I've shared my testimony with this body in various ways, you know, several times, but there's this one moment, I'll always go back to it. And it was the time that I was struggling and I had, um, I had a medical condition and I didn't think I was going to live. It was just, it was just one of those moments. And I just remembered, I was you know, laying down, I was doing my student teaching at university school, and I was on this cold gym floor where they stored the basketballs. It was like a closet. And I was just like, God, I believe that you exist because he's revealed himself to me, but I don't sense your presence in my life at all. I read your word, but not because I want to know you, but because I'm supposed to. And I confessed that. 
and I said, I'm sorry. And I bartered with God, which I'm not recommending that you do. And I said, tonight I'm going to go home and I'm going to open up the word of God. Not because I'm supposed to, but because I'm desperate for you. If you're real, I need to know it right now. Because otherwise, I'm done. And that was a true prayer before God. And I went home that night, and I opened up the Bible, seeking relationship. I needed to know that Jesus was real, and that he knew me, and that he loved me. And I opened up the Bible, and from that point until this point, he has continued to declare to speak and to shout out who he is to me over and over and over and over. So if you go one-on-one and we talk about the word of God, I'll say it. It's oxygen. It's oxygen. I can't imagine a day without going to the word of God. Not because I'm supposed to or that you're supposed to, but because that's how we get to know him. The psalmist says that the word of God is to be desired. That doesn't sound religious. And if you're struggling in this area, I would say, are you looking through the religious lenses or are you looking through the relationship lenses? That's what we're talking about today. It's relationships. It's digging into the word and it's digging into the spiritual disciplines, not because in doing so, God's going to be like, hey, that was impressive. You, you memorized scripture? You've read two chapters? This is good. You can come a little bit closer to me now. That's funny, but that's how we think. We think we can impress God when Scripture says that all of our righteousness on our very best day is as filthy rags. Filthy, dirty rags. The best I can give to God is a filthy, dirty rag. Do you see the gospel moment here, people? There are people that are in this assembly this morning, I know, that do not know the Lord. And you're trying to figure out, how do I get to God? Jesus has revealed God to us. He's the perfect representation of who God is. And here's what he does. He takes all of your sins upon himself that you can be forgiven. And once you are forgiven, you do not have to work for that relationship. Now, your standing won't change whether you read the Word of God or not, but your relationship will, and your understanding of who He is will, and how you should live, and how you're able to combat sin, and to know His will for your life. All of those things will be rebuilt in Scripture, but it's not like, okay, so now... If, if I believe that Jesus died and I start reading the Bible and I start praying, then I'll get forgiveness? No. His sacrifice was enough. Once and for all, Hebrews says, once and for all, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you confess Him, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and you say, I confess that. And then do not say, okay, now I'm going to go work myself into maintaining in good standing with him. So I'm going to do the things that Christians are supposed to do. Where's my list? And that's what we do. And it's foolish. No, we read the word of God. We dig into the word of God because we want to know him. He's revealed himself generally and he's revealed himself specifically. And he will help us and he will guide us. And he will give us strength and courage. 
And as the psalmist showed us at the end of Psalm 19, and as you read the word of God, he will also reveal sin in your own heart. And in this moment, you're reading the word of God, and then you're like, ah, yesterday I slandered my neighbor. And you confess that sin to God, you receive his forgiveness, and you begin to communicate him. So the word of God then drives us into confession and it drives us into prayer. The point is we're now communing with almighty God. Do you see that? That's relational. You can't be married to someone and never spend time with them and never communicate with them. But oftentimes as Christians, that's what we do. If I did that, oh, okay, so I guess I'm supposed to speak to Cammie this morning. You know, hello, how are you? Now, what else am I supposed to do? If it becomes like religion, I mean, I guess like once every once in a while, I'm supposed to go feed her food in a restaurant. That's, okay, check that off. And if it becomes like, uh, you know, that kind of a regimen, I mean, where's the love, people? Where's the relationship? And by the way, um, we found out the other night at a community group, the Vernons have not been on a date in eight months, so I just want to throw that out there. So, RV, take your wife on a date. <laughs> okay, so practical suggestions on how you live this out. Just some practical suggestions. Praise him as he's revealed in all creation. Let that drive you to the word. Receive the instructions from his word. Meditate on it. Just stay in it. Get your pen, get your, you know, highlighter or whatever, mark it. Pay attention to it and then use those truths to communicate back to God. God, right here in your word, I see this. This is the word I can't get away from this morning. And begin to talk with him honestly about that. Psalm 51 says he desires truth in the inner parts. He loved David. David was a man after his own heart. Why? Because David was a mess. David did stupid stuff, right? But he was so real, genuine, and just honest before God. And that's what he desires. And God's like, I'll take that every day. You just be real with me. Let me know what you're thinking. I'll receive that every day. Families, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, basically says in the morning and in the afternoon, in the evening, talk about these things. When you're driving down the interstate and you're headed toward Unicoi and you see the mountains, declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His faithfulness. You can't help but speak it when you see it. Say it. Use that as a catalyst to talk to your kids about how amazing in His general revelation that God is. He has spoken. And when you see that, worship him and talk to your kids and get them in, in, into this, this habit of seeing what God has done and then worshiping and then read together, you know, pray together. And yes, I do encourage families to pray together. Pray with your kids, you know, pray with your spouse before you go to bed at night. And in church, practical application for us, we have to keep the word of God central here. We have to, you know, I like to talk and plenty of pastors like to talk. I can get up here and give you like seven thoughts and ideas of how to live a successful life. You don't need that. You don't need Jerry's opinion on squat. We need to know what the word of God says to us. We need to dig in and see how he's revealed himself to us. And then we need to take that and sink our teeth into that. We need to be in community groups. Sam, we need to take the word and we need to take it into community groups. And I know we've got notes in our, our worship guide today. We need to wrestle with some of those questions. And then we need to take them in community group and we need to better understand how to, to understand this word and then how to apply this word. That's why we have community groups. 
You need to be in discipleship relationships with other guys and ladies where you're communicating the Word of God on a daily basis. I mean, Sam and I do that every morning. You know, we're reading the Word of God together, and I'm like, man, here's what I saw this morning, sin. And he's like, yeah, here's what I saw this morning, sin. And I'm doing that with other people. I'm doing that with Jeremiah and some other people as well. It's great. You do that because, number one, it gets you excited about the Word of God. You grow in relationship with another brother, but they speak a word back to you that you didn't even see in Scripture. Like, wait a minute, what? I didn't see that. It drives you back to the Word of God. And then there's also this element of accountability that's there that reminds you, oh, yeah, I need to be in the Word of God. It is about relationship. Worshiping and loving God are the main objectives of a Jesus follower. Revelation of God demands a response from us and seeking a deeper relationship through the spiritual disciplines is what we're talking about this day. Next week, we'll take it to the third and the final level of our worship, but that's for another week. So let's be silent for a few moments. It's a lot of words. It's a, a big scripture. And let's think about this, this passage. And, and then I want to open it up and see if you guys have any responses. Father, we're, we're just going to be silent before you. It's a little cold in the gym this morning. Sometimes we have other th thoughts on our minds. Lord, so just remove these things from us. Help the word of God to sink in. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, grow us into a deeper relationship with you. And may our response be one of worship. In Christ's name I pray, amen.